My name's Eric, and, and this is the ninth week of this series that we're calling uh, This Is How We Know. And so what, what I want to do is give you guys, if you, if you haven't been here uh, since the beginning, I want to give you just a, a little bit of a, a recap of what's going on, where we've been before we get into the text uh, that, that Lori just read today. And so, you know, there's this community that is existing in the first century. It was probably started uh, by a guy named John, or he's the pastor of this community. He's writing a letter to these folks that are very, very dear to his heart. They're experiencing some kind of church division. There's some stress. There's some strife. There's people who have uh, left the church and are causing division, further division in the church. So John is writing this letter to them to speak to their hearts and also to, to speak to the hearts of the people who have left. And we've, we've looked at a variety of different uh, subjects and concepts that John's trying, trying to hit at here. But what uh, some of the key things that he keeps returning to is w- the idea that you can't love God without loving God's people. And if there's a disconnect that with, uh, in that with you, John is going to say, man, you're off base. Loving God's people is, and loving humanity is synonymous with loving God. And that's one of the things that he's taking, the folks who are causing this division, that's one of the things he's taking the task for. Like if you're causing division, if you're, if you're leaving a church and you're talking bad about people, he's saying, I don't know that you can call yourself like really on board with God's, pro- with God's project in the world if you're not loving people and doing it compassionately and with the right heart. We've looked at things like what to do, you know, when your heart uh, is condemning you, when the voices of self-hatred are strong in your life. We've looked at just what he says about brokenness and Jesus and how Jesus speaks to, to what we need in our lives most deeply. And today we're going to talk about these uh, key words that he lays out to this community. Um, and I'm just going to walk through the text. There's about five or six Greek words that I want to help us understand. And then I actually want to get real, real practical about what John is suggesting this community does and therefore what he's suggesting, I think, that we do and can do as well. And then just to give you a preview, Lori's going to teach next week and she is going to unpack a a little statement in the next little block of scripture that I would suggest is like the one thing that can really hold us back always, just hold us back. And she's going to speak to it very poignantly next week. But today, um, I would just like to kind of get into the text. And like I said, we're going to just look at a, a handful of Greek terms. And so he starts this section of the letter this way. He says, dear friends, don't believe every spirit. And then he says, test the spirits to see if they are from God because many false prophets have gone into the world. And so the first word I want to introduce to you guys this morning is the word pneuma. Let me hear you say pneuma. Pneuma is the Greek word for spirit. And the the Bible, the New Testament is written in Greek. And in Greek, in ancient Greek in particular, it's what we call a word poor language in the sense that there are few words in Greek that have to do a bunch of different things. So if you were to read the Bible in Greek, you know, first thing, if you were to read an ancient manuscript, you would see that there's no punctuation. There's really no capitalization. It is just a run-on of sentences, of words that scholars then piece together and just working things out and working things out with tradition. uh, We were able to put punctuation marks in, make sentences out of things. But what this means is that a word like pneuma comes around 
And the word pneuma does a lot of different things in the Old Testament. So as you can see up here, it is the word that the New Testament uses for the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that lives inside us as a gift from God. That's capital S, Spirit. You know, in my text uh, here that I'm looking at, the Common English Bible, uh, in verse 6, when, it's, when John says the Spirit of Truth, that Spirit is capitalized. Not because it's capitalized in the text, but because scholars say, oh, that's when he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But in Greek, pneuma also just means like spirit, like soul, like life force, like the thing that animates you, that, that literally makes you alive and makes animals alive and makes plants alive. So when you're dealing with these ancient texts, you have to make choices. Like, well, when is this a capital S, Holy Spirit, or when is this just animating force? And so as we go into this, uh, I'm going to follow the lead of the Common English Bible and, 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 and say that when he says, look, there's spirits out there and you need to test and see which are from God and which aren't. When he's saying that, he's saying there are animating, animating forces out there in people's lives, motivations, essences, souls. And some of them come from God and some don't. And he's telling this community, you got to be able to figure out who is who, what is what, and then what you kind of do with that. And that's what we're going to really get at today. So he goes on and we're going to unpack more of this. Um, and by the way, before we go on, he says, listen, uh, you need to do this because then he says this phrase, lots of false prophets have gone out. And when you see that word or that phrase, false prophets, just understand that a prophet in the Bible is a person who speaks for God. They are God's mouthpiece. And so John is saying, listen, there are people out there. They will claim to speak for God. They will show up and they will say, God's told me to tell you something. Anybody ever had that? Most of my conversations that start that way don't end well. <laughs> like, I don't know. If somebody ever comes up to me and says, like, God's told me to tell you something, my stress level is like, whoosh, through the roof. And so what John says is, listen, there are people out there who may claim to speak for God, and you need to know if what they tell you is really from God or if it necessitates what I just call the eyebrow raise. <laughs> so then he goes on, verse two and verse three. He says, this is how you know if a spirit, if the animating force, if the motivating action comes from God. Every spirit, every soul that confesses Jesus Christ has come as a human, or another way to put that is in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. And then he says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. It is now already in the world. Now work backwards for just a moment. Um, I grew up in the church a little bit. Um, and when I saw that word Antichrist, I always got like the, the hairs on the back of my neck like raised up. And I was like, you know, uh, who is it? And it's always kind of took that as like a real heavy term. But what John is saying right here is that literally, okay, literally, if a person does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, that is anti-Christ. It is opposed to God's movement and work in the world. 
So it's not like a big boogeyman type of figure. It is literally, look, you're saying something about Jesus that is not true. Now, what is he saying? If a spirit that confesses that Jesus has come as a human, that, that animating force, that motivation is from God. Now, the word there for flesh is the word sarks. This is our next word. Let me hear you say sarks. Literally means flesh, body, reality, things you can touch, things you can taste, things you can hear. And John's saying, listen, if a person is not saying that Jesus was just as real and just as human as you and me, that spirit is the spirit of the Antichrist. It is opposed to God's work in the world. Now, why is that so important? Well, without getting too deep into it, uh, this the group of people that are splitting from the church and have split from the church, this is what they are saying. They are the ones who are saying, Jesus Christ wasn't real. Or if he was real, he wasn't like as human as, like, as you, Dan, or as me. He was like extra human. And John's saying that's not right. And Jesus was, we believe, fully divine. But he was also Fully human, 100% both. And so when you make a declaration about that, it says something also powerful about the world. Because if John's saying, listen, Jesus was 100% human, then that means being human ain't all that bad. Now granted, we all have struggles. I'm far from perfect. But if Jesus was 100% human, then 100% human is not all that bad. And that means the world is not all that bad. It needs fixing. It needs help. But it ain't all that bad. And so that means, like, listen, uh, in my life, that hug I get from my kids in the morning, that's a good thing because that's what it means to be human. When you sit down and you, and you get blessed with just a, a great meal that someone cooks with love and care, you know what? That's a good thing because that's what it means to be human. This team that just came back from Guatemala, I guarantee you they drank some good coffee. <laughs> coffee is a gift from God. Drinking it, drinking it, savoring that. It's not about uh, does it cost a million dollars. It is about was something, is this something given to you as grace? And if it is, it's good. What you can feel, what you can see, what you can taste, it matters in this world. And John's saying, look, if people show up on your doorstep and they say, oh no, Jesus wasn't really human. In fact, maybe he didn't even die on the cross because God would never die on the cross as a human being. How could God ever do that? And John says, no, that's opposed to the spirit and the movement of Jesus in the world. And so you have to know what the difference is and you have to be able to say, it's not gonna work that way. And then I love what he says. You see, we call this series, This Is How We Know. Because if you ever read the letter of 1 John, This Is How We Know appears over and over and over again. This is how we know. This is how we know. So John throws out a concept and then he kind of says, well, this is how we know it's true. But he provides variants on this. So last week we were talking about the voices of self-hatred. I introduced the idea that instead of saying, this is how we know, John says, oh, this is how we will know in the future. And to me, I just kind of 
put out an opinion that I think John put it that way because he knows that the voices of self-hatred will come back again and again and again and again. And so sometimes we need to know, look, this is not just a one-time thing. You need to know this in the future too, that God loves you. And that voice of love is greater than the voice of self-hatred. So John says, look, for that, this is how we will know. But then this one, he provides another variation. And he says, this is how, not we, this is how you know. Now, why does he do that? Well, the simple answer is because this, he's not with them. He's writing this letter. And he says, I can't be there with you, church, 100%, 24 hours, seven days a week. So you need to know how to do this. And I think it's cool that John trusts this community this much. That he says, you need to test the spirits and you don't test by writing me a letter or getting on like the telephone, the, the, the literally the cup and the ear thing in the first century. John, some people showed up and they're saying this. John's like, you, I don't have to be there. This is how you'll know. This is how you'll know. So he goes on. Um, he says, you, church, you are from God, little children, and you have defeated these people, the ones who have split off. You've defeated them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, so they speak from the world's point of view. Anybody guess what the next word's gonna be? And the world listens to them. We're from God. The person who knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. And this is how we recognize the spirit in my Bible, the capital S, Holy Spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So John, uh, the word for, for world here is cosmos. Let me hear you say cosmos. And the world, that can literally mean like the created world, the big sphere, the universe. But in John's writing, it also usually means a system of how the world works. It's not just an objective like descriptor. It is also just the way stuff gets done. And the way I like to describe this is like, can anybody identify with the idea that money buys influence in the world? And sometimes money forces decisions that don't impact the common good as much as they impact the interest of the money that's paid for the decisions. That's the system. So when John says the world, he means both things. It's another example of this word having to do two things. So if anybody ever seen, you know, John 3.16, God so loved the, but that's the physical world, the universe. But God doesn't like the system because the system tends to make certain people equipped with more power and more influence and other people left out in the cold. Anybody know exactly what I'm talking about yet? So John says, look, there's people out there. They are not on board. They're working against God's purpose. They're part of the system. And then he says, you're not from there. And he draws this great line in the sand. Listen, listen to me, people. And this is how you know. And then he says, listen, uh, even if people show up and they're, they're preaching something and they're trying to tell you that Jesus is something that he's not, that he wasn't really human, he says, guess what? Don't worry because you've overcome them. And the Greek word there is the word nikao. We hear you say nikao. Familiar word, part of it, Nike. Anybody? All right. 
And it literally means you've overcome them. If people show up and they're saying things, no matter what it seems like, if they're not on board, it doesn't matter what type of authority they claim. Now, remember, this is the first century. You know, if, if you wanted to, I have a diploma from a seminary. You'd be like, what, what authority does Eric get to say the things he says? Well, first I could show you my diploma. And then you could go, well, okay, is that, is that seminary accredited? And you could, oh yeah, I could do that. You could probably even go find out, did I attend that seminary? Well, guess what? In the first century, none of that exists. So you're a church and someone comes knocking on your door and they say collectively, God's told me to tell you something. What authority? How do you check their credentials? There's no seminaries. There's no transcripts. And so John is saying, look, church, you need to be able to decide things. And then he says, you're greater than them. You've overcome them. It doesn't matter what authority they claim. Does it line up with certain things? If it, if it doesn't line up, then you say, sorry. You give them the eyebrow raise. Hmm and send them on their way. So uh, with that in mind, uh, I want to return back to the first verse that we looked at today. All right, and the idea that he throws out, don't believe every spirit. There are motivations and animating actions in the world, and you need to know which is which. And then he says, test the spirits. Test the spirits. And the Greek word there is the last one for today is the word dokimatsu. So let me hear you say dokimatsu. So dokimatsu literally means to try out, to examine. Now again, in the first century, uh, if you think about it, you know, uh, I, well, let me put it this way. Um, anybody ever, when they, when they started to unveil the new currency, the new bills, this is like years ago, Anybody ever pay with a $20 bill and the, and, the, and the people at the register, they take out the marker, and they do the little thing? The first time, I, first time that happened to me, I was insulted. I was like, I was like what are you doing? They're like, well, we're making sure it's genuine. And I'm like, do I look like a counterfeit? You know? And there's someone, they were dokimatsuing that bill. They had to test it. They had to try it out. And this word in the first century means the same thing. Someone shows up in a, in a market and they're like, I want to buy these things. You have a coin. Yes, this coin is this. Well, you know, there's no kind of standard of currency. How do you try it out, you know? Literally, you know, if it's something supposed to be a precious metal, you literally see people bite it with their, with their, with their teeth to see if it's malleable like silver or, or gold. And John says, animating forces. People show up and they're like, look, you need to do this. God told me to tell you, you need to do this or that. And he says, Test it. Try it out. And then this, this is where it gets interesting. Because in the same way that John, I said, John trusts this community. And in the same way this letter was written for that community, it's also written for us today. And I want you to think about the idea, what it means that God trusts you. He trusts you. He trusts you to make decisions. There's people going to show up in your life. You should do this. You should do that. You should be this way. You should be that way. And God trusts you to make decisions. Now, not because you're overly bright. He trusts you because of something called the Holy Spirit. 
It's not because you have to be super smart to make these decisions. It's because Jesus gave you a gift called the Holy Spirit. And that spirit inside you allows you to test and try out the spirits, the animating forces. That means, let me put it this way. You know, you do this ministry thing long enough and, and you st- I take meetings with people from the community and over time, you know, you kind of have different categories of meetings that you'll have with people. And some people will have a meeting with me to say, I want to get involved and serve. And some people will take, a, I'll take a meeting with them and they're just like, I'm really going through some pain. But one of the most common meetings I have with people is they, they have a decision in front of them. And they say, man, I want to know if I should take this job or that job or this major or that major or date this person or that person. Can you tell me what God's will is? And I, of course, say, absolutely, I can. No. I'm glad for those meetings. And, and, and I, we all need help with wisdom. But what I want to plant inside you today is the idea that the Holy Spirit, which is the fullness of God, resides in every single one of you. This might, might impact my job security, but you don't have to get a meeting with me to know what God might be telling you to do. God trusts you to make decisions. He trusts you. Now, what I want to do with the rest of our time here is I want to talk about this practically because, get it, God trusts you, but he knows you. So just because he trusts you to make a decision doesn't mean he's not going to put some guidelines on how to think about the decision, okay? We good with that? It's not like, oh, well, I just get to do whatever I want. No, God says, listen, there's the Holy Spirit inside you. You can dokimatsu life pretty well. But let me tell you how it works. So uh, this comes from, uh, from John's story about Jesus, the gospel of John. And in that gospel, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, his followers. And he says, listen, I'm going away. But then he says, I'm going to send. And this text says, another companion or advocate who will be with you forever. This is the Holy Spirit. So the first thought that comes to that, well, if there's another companion or advocate, just ask yourself, well, who was the first? And in this context, Jesus is saying there's another one coming. I was the first companion. I'm going away. I'm going to send you another one. And so my simple way of thinking about things says, well, if the Spirit was the second, Jesus was the first, if you want to know how to test the actions and behaviors of people who are trying to tell you what to do, ask yourself, are they doing what Jesus did? And are they getting the results that he did? Are they doing the things that the first advocate and companion said that we should do? And are they getting those results? Are people being healed? Are are good things happening? Because if they're not, collective eyebrow raise. Hmm. So, as you start to dokimatsu things in your world, ask yourself, is it consistent with God's story of reuniting people, helping them to love him more deeply and helping them to love other people more deeply? Is it consistent with Jesus? And if it's not, you can say, I'm not sure that your spirit is the spirit that is right for me in this moment. Second thing, is it affirmed by the community? 
Someone walks into your world, says, you should do this, you should do that. And community can look a different way, a bunch of different ways. Maybe your growth group. You say, growth group, man, I'm being told to do this. What do you guys think? Your growth group goes, oh, mm-mm. God takes community very seriously. It can also mean a big, a big community. So like when, when, when I uh, interact with, with texts or things that are being said about Jesus, uh, the community for the church goes back thousands of years. So for me, it looks like, is this suggestion been affirmed by the church historically? Understanding that the church is not perfect, but I exist in a community of scholarship and pastorship that goes back 2,000 years. So I have to look, what did the community say about this? Next thing. Oh, man, look at the results, the fruit of whatever this person is advocating. That comes out of a a passage in this letter to this church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 5. Let's see things of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the pneuma of God. And they're things like compassion, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Someone shows up in my world and they say, Eric, God told me to tell you something. I listen and I look at the fruit of what that decision is or who that person is. And if I see turmoil and if I see hardness of hearts and if I see hatred, then I go, that ain't the fruit of the Spirit. Eyebrow raise starts. Look at the fruit. Look at what has resulted in this person's life or in this decision's life. And you can test the spirits. Next thing. But remember, it's not about you. Remember, it's not about you. And what this means is that, look, someone's going to come up eventually, if they haven't already, and they're going to tell you that you might want to do something or think about something that is going to make you mad. And it's going to work your last nerve. But it's not about you. Let me just put it this way. Anybody ever heard anything and you were like, there is no way, no way. Uh Uh-uh. And six months later, you're like, that was the best piece of advice I could have possibly got at that point. (laughs) When somebody shows up, it is not about what makes you mad. Because sometimes the truth we need to hear the most is the truth that will make us the most frustrated. It's not about you. It's about testing the spirits. And only a man, I didn't think I needed to know that, but now I do. Just a couple more. Testing the spirit, sometimes you just got to slow down and watch. Slow down and watch and relax and breathe. (sighs) Because sometimes somebody make a suggestion and your first instinct might be to like, oh, I need to kick you out of this place really fast. But sometimes scripture would even advocate, you know what? Have I seen any fruit yet? Maybe I can watch and wait a little bit. There's this great story. I want to introduce you guys uh, just conceptually to a guy named uh, Gamaliel. And he was a rabbi in the first century. And uh, he's recognized in Jewish literature as an expert in the Torah. And in the first few chapters of the book of Acts, he is sitting on the ruling council of Judaism. And they had to dokimatso some stuff because they had these people walking around saying, Jesus from Nazareth was the Messiah. And you guys had him executed by the Romans. 
And they were like, well, we better test some spirits here. And the leaders of the first church were being thrown in jail or they were being stoned, they were being executed. And so uh, Peter and, and some of the leaders, they, they, they are sitting before the ruling council and everyone's like, we have got to stomp this thing out. And Gamaliel sits up and this is what the, the text says in Acts 5. He says, fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you intend to do to these people. Some time ago, Thutis appeared. Everybody remember Thutis, right? Claiming to be somebody, and some 400 men joined him. After he was killed, all of his followers scattered, and nothing came of it. Afterward, at the time of the census, Judas the Galilean appeared, and he got some people to follow him too in a revolt. He was killed, and all of his followers scattered. And then he wraps up this way. Here's my recommendation in this case. Distance yourself from these men, but let them go. If their plan or activity is of human origin, it will end in ruin. If it originates with God, you won't be able to stop them. Instead, you'll find yourself fighting God. And this guy just says, everybody just breathe just a moment. Let's see what kind of fruit comes out of this thing. And a lot of times in my life, what I've realized is when so many people have come up to me and they've challenged me on something and maybe it's frustrated me or made me mad or I had to kind of sit with it. You know what? The, the, one of the things that's involved in there is how much do I trust God? Do I trust God to kind of like, kind of take care of this thing and, and make it go away if it's not good? Is he really God? Is he God that much? Can I just kind of say, let me just see what fruit becomes of it. And if God does not want this to happen, I can trust that he will control this thing because there's a bigger story being told. God trusts you. He trusts you. It does not mean there's not guidelines. But he trusts you. When my kids were growing up, you know, I had to... Uh, literally, you know, tell them, uh, you know, don't touch that. Don't, you don't want to put your hand near that stove because it might burn you. But eventually I have to let my kids like learn their lessons and trust that they can make good decisions. Another way to tell this thing is like, look, um, in my car right now, I still, have an, I still have a paper road atlas, okay? You can still buy them, um, <laughs> And I have one because I'm a big picture person and I like to see the whole route of, of just where I'm going, okay? I, I use them all the time, roadmaps. But get it, listen, roadmaps ain't perfect, right? If you guys were awake or alive in the 70s and 80s, you'd be driving somewhere and you're like, wait, there's supposed to be a road here that's not here anymore. Or there might be a new road that's not on your atlas. You had to buy one every single year. They told you how to get places. But then came this like wacky, crazy thing, GPS, right? And it would tell you how to get someplace. But anybody ever have like GPS steer you way wrong? Yes. <laughs> For a while, when I started using GPS, if it, man, if it said turn left, I turned left. If it said turn right, I turned right. That's the way a lot of us are. Listen, this is the way a lot of us are with spiritual stuff. 
We have a GPS in our life that's not the Holy Spirit. It might be your favorite radio personality. It might be your favorite author. It might be just someone who shouts really loud on social media. And you're like, oh, if they say turn left, I turn left. If they say turn right, I turn right. But God says, I trust you. Child of God, I trust you. And sometimes you need to think for yourself because you can. You see, uh, you know, I, I tended to follow that GPS like, just like a lot of us do. But then I remember one day when everything changed. I have a friend that lives in Orlando, and I was going down to visit him. I couldn't remember his exact address, but to my shame, I remembered he lived right across the street from Chipotle. <laughs> so I put in a search for you know, Chipotle in, in uh, uh, Orlando, and I remember, okay, that's the part of town it was in. So that's where I'm going. Trusted that GPS, you know? And uh, I got off uh, the, 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 you know, the toll road there in Orlando. And, and I knew instinctively that I was like seven minutes max from this guy's house. But GPS told me I was like 25. I'm like, that doesn't seem right. But GPS said, turn right, turn left, turn. So I'm going. And I'm getting, I was like, I think I'm really close. But GPS still says I'm 20 minutes away. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to find the Chipotle because then I know I can find his. And so finally, I, I get at an intersection and I look up, and I think it was Orange Avenue, and I look, and, and there's Chipotle right there. GPS says, says I'm still 20 minutes away from Chipotle. And I look at the route because GPS was telling me, oh, go down 10 miles and do a U-turn and just drive straight back 10 miles, and there you'll be at Chipotle. Inside of me. Inside of me, I could have figured that out. And eventually, I just, oh, well, yeah, no thanks, GPS. I got it from here. Two turns, and I'm at the guy's house. God trusts you. He trusts you. There will be people who show up in your world, and they'll say, do this, do that. You're outside of God's will. You're this way. And you know what you can do is you can just say, you know what? I, I hear you. I take that very seriously. I want to be humble. But at the same time, the Spirit of God has been given to me. And I can dokimatsu this thing. So let's just sit and let's just see, is this, is this going to help me love God and love people better? Is this going to have the right fruit? Do you have the right fruit in your life? And you can sort this thing out. And when you do that, listen, uh, you grow into a maturity that God is calling us all to. You don't have to call your pastors to say, I need help every single decision. We want to be here for you guys, but we also want you to mature and grow up. And every single person can do this. Amen. 